Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. The word of God for the people of God. Now read the New City Catechism question number 16 with me. What is sin? Sin is rejecting or ignoring God in the world he created, rebelling against him by living without reference to him, not being or doing what he requires in his law, resulting in our death and the disintegration of all creation. He did. Thank you for all the blessings that were prayed upon us. Appreciate that. I know other people have birthdays and I've been praying over you and some anniversaries, at least one other uh, real near ours here in April. We pray blessings upon you all as well. Our question today and our sermon topic is, uh, what is sin? And that would be the title. Very specifically in 1 John 3, 4, it says sin is lawlessness. So we will look at that, sin being lawlessness, what that means. We'll look in 1 John where that scripture is and look at how we deal with sin the practicing or not practicing sin, and whether we can practice righteousness. We'll look at being born again, born of God, or born of the devil. Look at the, those different seeds. And we'll look at uh, the closing of the verse about love, about loving our brothers. So what is sin? So what? Who cares? We, most of us might know what it is, know something about it. Other people might not care or think it's an important question. Is it? The reason why it's so important to think about sin, to clearly understand what sin is, of course, is manifold. There's a lot in the Bible about it. But, in particular, what we want to think clearly about sin for and to understand it is because only understanding our sin will we understand God's salvation for us and the beauty of our Savior. So it's important, right? 
the kind of the ugliness of sin and what Jesus did for us upon the cross is displayed in him bearing our sin for us. And so that gives us the beauty of our Savior. So sin is lawlessness, this scripture said. Uh, Oswald Chambers in our commentary said that sin just isn't wrongdoing, it is wrong being, deliberate and emphatic independence of God. It's deliberate. It's emphatic. That we want to be independent from God. So when we look at we start asking these questions, how did, how did we get here? What's wrong with the world? Uh, the who, what, when, where, and how of sin, we can see it through almost virtually every page of the Bible. It says something either about sin, uh, directly or indirectly, implicitly talking about or, or just specifically talking about sin. <clears throat> But one thing it does not say is that there was sin in the beginning. I like that. Don't you like reading those first few pages of Genesis? They're beautiful. Sin is portrayed in Genesis 3. It's called the fall. This is when sin enters in to God's beautiful creation. And it is another way of saying this lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness is to say sin is rebellion. It's, re- it's rebellion. It's portrayed as doubting God's word. The first question that comes up is, has God said? Has God spoken and what has he spoken? It's about what God has said, about God uh, and his words he's used. Sin is first and foremost then this rebellion against God and what he has disclosed about himself in his words. And that notion of sin prevails in one fashion or another across the entire sweep of Scripture. So when he said that in that day you shall surely die, Adam died. Fundamentally, relationally, There was a separation, a death. That is what the word means, to separate, to die, to be separated from. And there was a separation from God. They immediately were separated from each other. They began to hide from each other, Adam and Eve, and then they hid from God. And when God came to walk with them in the cool of the evening, they were hiding, hiding from God. There was an alienation, a death immediately in the spiritual uh, uh, union of God and man. And that is at the core of all of our ills in humanity. And that's what the Bible is going to go on to tell about how do we resolve our alienation from God, our rebellion to God, that sin, understanding what sin is. When we go on to read in Genesis 4, we begin to see that just turning the pages, we see where sin goes. And we have the first murder of Cain killing his brother Abel. And then in Genesis 5, we have Adam's descendants listed all the way up until Noah 
with this common, repeated, three-word refrain over and over again after at least list each one. You know what that three-word refrain is? And he died. Death came as a result of sin physically also. Physically, there was death that came. So we are, in all of those senses, not only lost in the world without God, alienated from God. This is the state of the world that the Bible declares is the problem with humanity, is the separation from God, but we are also headed towards death. I hope that's not a shocker to you. It's the one thing that almost everybody, almost, agrees on in life is that you will die. Now that awakening might not come till you're getting up somewhere around the age of me, you know, and, and you start going, hey, man, a lot of my life's over. I, I'm going to die someday, you know. And then you might start changing some things. For everybody, it's kind of different. But that is a guarantee of death. But the seriousness is, is that we're all lost and alienated from God and we're like zombies right now. We're walking around, the Bible says, dead in sin. That means walking around physically separated from God, you are like a zombie, just going through motions in life, separated from the author of life, who gave life to his creation. And it has brought death and disintegration to not only just the relationship of humans to the world, but all of creation is marred. And Romans 8 says, groaning, waiting for the day of redemption. Sin has infiltrated and poisoned everything in God's good creation. In our commentary, John Lynn says, one very important way of understanding sin is that sin is rebellion against God's law. It's not doing what He requires of us, not living as He has called us to live, and therefore never fully being who God created us to be. Sin is living without reference to God, not viewing Him to be the defining reality of our lives around which our entire lives need to be centered. James brings this out in a unique way. Maybe all of us can relate with this. You know, we, we make plans, right? We make business plans. We make all kinds of plans, and things uh, don't always work out like we plan. And here's what James 4, 13 through 15 says. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town, spend a year there, and trade, and make a profit. Making plans, making business plans. We know, we know this world. We know how to operate. We've run business for a long time. We know how to make money. We can go here. This is what's happening there. We can go there and do this and that. Make some good money there. Let's go. It's the way a lot of people think without reference to God. Verse 14 says, Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? Question mark. For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Verse 15, instead you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. That's the difference between 
ignoring God and living without reference to God in the world and living and thinking and praying and acting as if God really is in the world and ruling at the center of your life. It's considering him in all things, in all things that you do. John Lynn goes on to say, talking about not living uh, in this world without reference to God, ignoring him with the laws that he has established, living in that sin is lawlessness that our text said. He says, you would never say the law of gravity is arbitrary or that it is unreasonable that you have to obey it. You would never say that because you understand that gravity is something that we must live in reference to. Of course, there are guidelines to honor and boundaries to acknowledge. You know the result of walking off a cliff and trying to break the law of gravity, death and disintegration. When we don't live as God, as if God is God, when we break God's loving law, I like putting that in there, God's lovingly instructing us and giving his, his law, reflecting his holy nature for us to be all what God has designed us to be. And yet we are living in rebellion to that. But he gave it in love to guide and to direct. We fail to honor him. We fail to honor who he is. When we say or imply by our actions that he is of no consequence or importance in this or that part of our lives, we sin and fail to fully be the people God created us to be. You know, I mean, that puts me in a, in a, in a spot where I'm sinning a lot more than I am aware of. I'm sinning, and I think this is doing that. It's putting, and the scriptures put that idea on us that we have a deep, rooted need for a savior in our life that is beautiful and glorious and can save us from this poison of sin in our lives living ignoring god in our lives sin can literally mean in the word in the hebrew missing the mark it's like shooting an arrow and the target's right there and you're off and it's going, that's, you, you sinned, you missed the mark. That's the literal meaning of the word. And this sin is falling short of God's glory. All have sinned, Romans 3.23, and fallen short of the glory of God. Missing the mark, falling short of what God created us to be. It's, it's not just doing what God not, not, it's not just doing what God prohibits. God says, don't do this. I'm doing good. I'm not doing that. But it's missing the mark. It is not doing what God commands you to do. Not doing what God asks you to do. That's a part of sin. It's missing the mark of what God created you to be. Not doing what He commands. This scripture in our text said talked about practicing sin i know that talking you know about sin and like well why am i still struggling with it i've come to jesus why and and this scripture really addresses that it talks about practicing sin i want to spend some time looking at that 
practice is interesting. You know, in sports, uh, we used to practice a lot. You need to practice, 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 and practice, you know. And you're like, when are we going to finally get to have the game? And you're like, well, we're going to have two-a-days now. And you're going to practice twice a day. And then you're going to show up extra early and do weight training and do all this practice. What are you trying to do when you're practicing? You're trying to get prepared for something, and you're trying to get better at something. So what is this? in talking about practicing. It says, whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. It's like wanting to be like Jesus and practicing to be like him. Training to be like him in all of your life. Working and practicing to be more like him. That is the desire of the believer. That's where their life is headed. And 8 says, whoever makes a practice of sinning, are you practicing at sin? Not just stumbling and falling, but loving sin, trying to get better at it, trying to find better ways to hide it, trying to find better ways to get, get away with it. That's not in a believer's life. If that's in your life, we need some deep seated repentance and believing in the gospel. And we need to take a good look at Jesus Christ because his program that he has you involved in as a believer is not a program of trying to help you get away with sin and or to get better at it or to improve at it or to even maintain it. Practices is about improving and getting better. And John is writing here uh, very strictly that your life and your deeds and the course of your life and the target that it is aimed toward, what you're, you're practicing toward is very important. David explains a lot about sin. David was a man that his life is laid out before us. And the Bible lays out not just Cain's sin, not just all the sins of the patriarchs, ten brothers planning to how to kill one. The great patriarchs, or Abraham lying. The Bible points out everyone in the Bible's sin except one. But David, he was a sinner. His life is laid out before us, and yet scriptures speak of him as a man after God's own heart. He wasn't a man who practiced sin. He was a man that stumbled headlong into it and his life is laid bare in the scriptures to show how when we stumble and fall into sin, how you rightfully repent. He was a poet. He was a writer. He was a songwriter. And in Psalm 51, he repents and he lays it out. This repentance about his sin with Bathsheba. And he says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. He calls out to God's love that will not let him go. Unfailing, will, will un, that's just steadfast. It won't quit, it won't give up on him. And he calls out to that God of love who is love, didn't just one day become love, who is love. And he calls out to this God of love. According to your great compassion, passions blot out my transgressions another word for sin transgressing what transgressing your holy law 
lawlessness, transgression, another word for sin, blot them out. Wash away all of my iniquity. Iniquity, another word for sin. An uncleanness. An uncleanness at at my core. David is the one who would say in another psalm that I was born in iniquity and I was conceived in sin. That sin is much deeper and insidious. Uh, It's what Oswald uh, Chambers said, that we are... uh, We are... uh, what I said at the beginning. It's not just doing sins. It's a being that we have this inherited nature at conception in Adam that is a sinner. And so when you sin, you're only doing what your nature, fallen in Adam, is born to do. David proclaimed that. He said, I'm born in, in, in iniquity, I'm conceived in sin. And he understood, David at the gut core understood where sin came from. He understood the depth of it. And he knew the beauty of God's love because of that. And that's what I want us to get today. I want us to see the, 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 the poison of sin, and I want us to see the beauty of our Savior. David cries out, I I know my transgression. My sin is always before me. This man really knows how guilty he really is. He knows how to repent and turn. And he says this crazy thing in Psalm 51 4. He says, Against you, he's praying to God. This psalm is written to God. Against you, you only, have I sinned. And done what is evil in your sight. That's, that's pretty crazy. He had sinned against Bathsheba. He had seduced her. He had sinned against Uriah. He had had him killed. He had sinned against the military because he had corrupted them. He had sinned against the nation that he was over as king. And he had failed on a fundamental level. He had sinned against his own family. He had betrayed them. It is hard to think of him saying... I just sinned against you, God. My sin is against you and you only. What is this pointing? What is David trying to say here? That can't just be the point there, but yet it's exactly the point that sin is so heinous that it is a defiance and a rebellion to God that our sins are motivated by something much deeper than just harming those around us it is at the core what david is trying to get at is that i'm not loving you god i'm missing the mark i'm not loving you with all of my heart soul mind and strength i'm loving myself and my own desires and pleasures above you and i put them above you i've sinned against you and you only first and foremost your sins start there and david knows it and he goes to the core of it what a writer what a poet What a psalmist to dig this out and be so vulnerable and lay it out there in Psalm 51. God is always the most offended party with sin. Wow. Against you only have I sinned, God. Scripture reveals that. And so Scripture is revealing that we first and foremost need forgiveness from God. We need forgiveness from God. 
And the worst part of sin, the worst effect of sin, is that we're alienated from God because of sin. We're separated from Him. Of course we're going to be separated from one another and not know how to love one another because we're separated from the source of love, the source of life, the maker and giver of life. We're alienated from Him. That is our core problem. That is our core disease of sin. And if He stands against us because of that sin, we are lost and we are undone and we are without hope in the world. But a believer cannot just continue to practice sin. David didn't just go on and say, how good can I get at this adultery thing? He, he tried for a little while, but the prophet pointed out his sin. God's grace came and confronted him about his sin and said, you can't go down that path. I have something else for you to practice. I want you to practice being like me, practice righteousness. This is my program of training in your life. And David repented and was able to, to turn his life around. And we remember him as a man who worshiped God with all his heart, worshiped in spirit and truth, a man who desired God. And even God speaks of him that way. A man who desired, who was after me, who pursued me, who pursued my heart. This scripture in our text says, the reason that the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil, to destroy sin and death. That's what the text is talking about. Jesus came He was that spoken word of God. We talked about in the beginning of Genesis, you know, that God's word spoke. And what they rebelled against was God's word. His spoken words revealing himself in the beginning of Hebrews starts out that God has spoken in various ways. And through many people, through prophets and all the different ways of of Scripture. But in these final days, he has spoken to us in his, the final way God spoke to us. The most revealed, beautiful way God spoke to us in his word was in his son, Jesus. That was his final spoken word was in Jesus. Here's the finality and perfect beauty of all of my word. It's the word made flesh and in my son, Jesus. Here's the beauty of the one who will destroy death and all of its disintegrating factors. He will redeem you and He'll redeem all creation with you. Whew! Yeah. And this text says that we need this seed of God planted in us. S-E-E-D. Seed. We need God's seed abiding in us. Because He begins to talk about this new birth. He talks about being born of God. And he says, if you're born of God, you have the seed of God in you, you can't practice sin. You can't do it. You can't go against this new nature of your new birth. And if you're sinning and practicing sin, and that's gone on for a long time, you've got to say, have I been born again? It's the seed of God in me. Is that new birth within me. John's uh, challenging people here who said they were believers but were not. No one born of God practice, makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. This is our only hope is to be born of God, this new birth. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees in John 8. 
And he talks about this seed of the devil. He, he talks about these Pharisees who are it's all about father, like who is your father, back and forth. And they're, you know, who's your father, your father? I think you were conceived, and, you know, they're accusing Jesus of being conceived in fornication. We don't even know who your real dad is. You know, there's some stories about who this, and it's a whole conversation of that. When it comes down to it, finally, they say, we know who our father is. Our father's Abraham, and we're descendants of them. We're good. And Jesus says, I'll tell you who your father is. You're not going to like it. Your father is the devil. To the holiest people there in that day, the Pharisees, the strictest keepers of the law. And he says, and your will is to do your father's desire. Here's sin. Your father's the devil. And what you really desire at the core root of everything you do is to do what your father tells you to do, to do his will. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he does not stand in truth because there's no truth in him. He's a liar. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, out of his own nature. You're speaking lies out of your own character and your own nature because that's what you're born in. You have the seed of your father in you, the seed of the devil, the seed inherited from Adam, the seed of sin, and you're hopeless against it with all of your religious trying to keep the, the, the laws. You are lawless. And he said, which one of you convicts me of sin? This is the righteous one. Whew, boy, you got to know where you stand if you're going to say that. Man, say one sin that you know I've committed ever because I haven't even spoke a word of sin and I only do what my Father shows me to do and he's spoken out of heaven saying, this is my beloved Son and who I'm well pleased. And he did it on multiple occasions. This is Jesus, the beauty of of our Savior standing up and confronting people with the hard truth, if you will hear it, but he says they can't hear it. If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? And he answers, whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is you are not of God. You're not born of God. You're not born anew in God. This is what Jesus told a Pharisee on that council, Nicodemus, earlier in John. He told, them, he, he told him he could not see the kingdom. He could not enter his kingdom unless he had been born again. Born from above. Born by the Spirit. The Spirit putting a new seed in you. The seed of the Father. This is your only hope and cure against sin. Is sin really that poisonous? Is it really that bad? Is it really like David said in Psalm 51.5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity in my sin, and sin did my mother conceive me. In Bob Dylan's writing, another great poet on his song and album, Saved, he talks about stepping out of the womb, stone cold dead. Those lyrics started going through my mind when I was reading the scripture. And Dylan says, I was blinded by the devil, born already ruined, stone cold dead as I stepped out of the womb. By his grace I have been touched, by his word I have been healed, by his hand I've been delivered, and by his spirit I've been sealed. And he goes on to praise God 
He talks about, there was nobody around to rescue me, nobody who would dare. I was going down for the last time, but by his mercy I've been spared. Not by works, no Pharisee can get there by works, but by faith in him who called. He called. For so long I've been hindered, for so long I've been stalled, but I've been saved. I've been saved by the blood of the Lamb. And I'm so glad. Yes, I'm so glad. I just want to thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. That's what we're going to do. (laughs) We're going to thank Jesus. And we're going to praise Him. That He has planted within us the seed of God. We've been born of God by faith in God. By His great mercy and grace in the gift of His Son, Jesus Christ. And His redeeming blood. The wages of sin is death. And that is insidious, poisonous, ugly, beyond what we could think or imagine. And those wages of sin is death. But the, but, but, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Eternal life in Him. He didn't come just to get you back into the garden. He came back to get you into the garden and give you everything plus and more. to bless you with eternal life with Him. To be born again, Peter says, is this this seed that brings brotherly love. He says, uh, 1 Peter 1, 22, 23 says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again. Here's what born again produces. It produces not just love for God vertically, but love horizontally for one another because God does care about that too. He cares about our horizontal love for one another. And he says, you've been born again of this seed that is not imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. The Word of God is that seed implanted by the Spirit of God. The Spirit anointing the Word and bringing new birth into the believer who says, I trust in Jesus. I trust in this Word preached to me. The foolishness of preaching of God's Word to me. I believe in it and I trust in it. And that seed of the word, the spirit anoints within the believer and brings new birth. And you begin to practice to be like your Savior. And you realize the beauty of your Savior and the ugliness of the pit he drug you from. And your life will never be the same. A Christian's life, a true believer, never goes on practicing sin. Their life is immediately and radically changed. And they work for the rest of their lives being redeemed from the snare of the fowler. From the snares of sin and every insidious thing that it has and and holds in your life. God delivers you, he delivers you, and he delivers you. And keeps delivering you. Until this scripture comes true at the beginning of this verse. And we read it in 1 John 3. That we are loved by God. We are loved by God and we're children of God. And he fills us with his love. And so that we can love one another. What this last verse says. That whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. You're not practicing righteousness. You're not of God. Nor is the one who does not love his brother. And that's how this text 
concludes. You're going to be born again, and you're born again of that seed, and it's unstoppable. It's imperishable. It is a power in you beyond your own power to will it away. It's a power of supernatural ability of God's Word in you, anointed by His Spirit to live out the God, the life that God intended for you to be, to love Him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's the power that He gives you in the new birth. Amen? Amen. We're going to sing in this closing song, thanking the Lord for His glorious salvation, and I hope maybe in new ways we'll see the glorious uh, salvation that God has brought us in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. The Bible mentions about 600 times the wrath of God, the wrath of God against sin. For every sin on Him was laid, Here in the death of Christ I live. And there in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. And as he stands in victory, ready? Sin's curse has lost its grip on me. For I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. We're, we celebrate communion. There should be little communion things for y'all. We're going to sing that song and just give thanks to to our Savior, our glorious Savior, Jesus Christ. As the worship team comes, we remember the Lord's death until He comes. When you gather together, remember my death until I return. In the night that Jesus was betrayed, he gave thanks to the Father. And he offered up the bread and he said, this is my body given for you. Take and eat of it and do this in remembrance of me. Let us partake of the bread together. In like manner, he took the cup. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant, the cup of the new covenant in my blood, given for the remission of sins. Take and drink of it. And when you do, do this in remembrance of me. Let us partake of the cup together. Thank you, Father, for the precious shed blood of your Son, Jesus Christ, for the giving of his body, the very word of God made flesh, your final word spoken to us with authority and with power to cleanse and to wipe away sin and all of its disintegrating effects. We praise you and bless you in the name of Jesus and through his precious blood. Amen. Let's sing.